0: Well, I was an air traffic controller and I worked for the FAA. Don't confuse that with the FFA. We never made pigs fly. And so uh, please don't confuse that. I I was an air traffic controller. I tell people uh, it's like being a bank robber. You key the microphone and you say, "Okay, everybody do what I say and nobody gets hurt. (laughs) And that works out real good for us. It is an honor to be here. It is a bittersweet honor, to be honest with you. I love Brother Flanders. He has been such a great, great, great influence in my life, and, um, but I'm so grateful that I get to be here. This church is, has been such a great influence on me and my wife and my church and my family. Uh, your, your focus on revival, your focus on the spirit life, your focus on holy living, your focus on the Great Commission, your focus on your music. Uh, I, I came late. I came late. Uh, to the ministry. I was 41 when God called me to preach. And so I am running from behind, but I'm so, so, so grateful. I tell my family, I tell our folks, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. We must never, ever, ever lose sight of that. Psalm 86 in your Bible, Psalm 86. My wife wishes she could be here tonight. Uh, my wife of 40 years, Robin. And uh, I met her on a blind date. I think I've told you that already. Uh, She was going to Bible college. I had just graduated from flight school. I flew helicopters in the Army for 14 years. The Lord used that. I was able to speak at your Veterans Day uh, dinner, and I enjoyed that so much, talking to the veterans. How many of you heard me speak that night? Where you heard me, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But we had a good time, and and we certainly continue to pray that the Lord will continue to use that I'm so excited for you about your Christmas program that you had here. But my wife is in um, French Lick, Indiana, outside of French Lick. I have four children, by God's grace they all serve the God of their father. And I have uh, uh, two daughters, both of them are married to pastors. One is pastoring in Port Huron, Michigan. Uh, I'm so sorry about that because I'm from Ohio and we don't call uh, men in the ministry in Michigan pastors, we call them missionaries. (laughs) And uh, I have a a daughter who's married to a pastor who took the church that I started, uh, Lord allow me to start 20 years ago, and he's been there for two years. And then I have two sons. Uh, One's married to a faithful young lady, and they serve the Lord. Uh, He was on the mission field for several years in Mexico, and now he's serving the Lord faithfully in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I love to go to Louisiana to eat. The motto down there is, you eat it before it eats you. <laughs> and so uh, he is down there faithfully serving the Lord. And then I have a, uh, my youngest son, Nate, is the one outside of French Lick right now. He and his wife and their five children are on their way to Iceland as missionaries. Iceland is the largest concentration of atheists in the world. It's just a reprobate country, reprobate country. And uh, he's about two thirds of the way done with his support. And they have baby number six that's coming any minute. And so uh, um, my daughter-in-law, Rachel, uh, is, had asked her mother to uh, help with the children, the five children, and uh, she came down with COVID. So she asked my wife to step in. And so my wife had to choose between me, who she loves and her grandchildren. And you'll notice she's not here. And if you're a grandfather, you understand what I'm talking about, don't you? Amen. But it is an honor to be here. Psalm 86 in the Word of God. Psalm 86. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I know you'll pray for me because of that. Uh, Cleveland Browns won today. And of course, they won today because it means nothing to win today. (laughs) And this isn't important to us. Coming into the playoffs, that's nothing for us. The highlight of our year is the draft. It's downhill from there after the draft, and that's just the way it is for us. Of course, if you're a Chicago Bears fan, I feel your pain. I understand that. Yeah, that's a blessing. But uh, uh, Owensboro, uh, we just got hit with about four inches of snow, and for us, that's a lot. Uh, We only have one tractor in a farmer's barn that we use to plow the roads down there, and he couldn't get it out because we had four inches of snow. And so... (laughs) So it has made things difficult to get around down there. Um, But uh, uh, it's just a joy to serve the Lord. I've been in Owensboro for two years. It's been a transition. I think I told you before when I was in Hopkinsville, it was a military church. And, you know, we had soldiers come and we had soldiers go. We had 32 soldiers at one time uh, from our church in Afghanistan, and that's a lot. Uh, They all, by God's grace, came home in one piece, but they all struggled. Uh, So many of them struggled and still do. And uh, if you're a veteran tonight, I love you. And I say that from my heart. And I appreciate your sacrifice. Uh, uh, Somebody once said, people sleep in peace tonight because rough men stand ready to do violence on our behalf. And I appreciate you. But... uh, So then uh, two years ago the Lord moved us, two and a half years ago the Lord moved us up to Owensboro. And it's really been a different world. I I had told my wife before we went there that maybe the Lord would take all the mistakes I'd made for the first 18 years in my ministry. And and, uh, we would use all the things that we've learned and apply them to this new church. But the interesting thing was when we got to our new church somebody changed all the questions on the test. And so we got a whole different environment of people there in Owensboro, but it's been a wonderful thing. We've seen so many people saved and baptized, and and there's a Spirit, there's a work that needs to be done there. But we're trusting the Lord for that, and we're excited about what He's going to do. Psalm 86, look at verse number 6 with me. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I want to talk to you tonight about having a heart That's divided. Having a heart that's divided. Pray with me. Would you please? Father, we come to you tonight and we humble ourselves before you. And Lord, I am so grateful for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I am so dependent upon you to do a work, uh, a task for which I am insufficient. And so I pray, Father, you will work in my heart and in my life and in the hearts and in the lives of the dear people who are here tonight. Father, help us to be more like Christ as a result of this time. Help us to decide. Help us to be convinced. Help us to be determined that we are going to have a united heart and not a divided heart. Lord, bless your word as it's proclaimed. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I told you we had a snowstorm. It was pretty, pretty intense for us. Four inches of snow is a big deal. I, I'll be honest with you. They start talking about snow and schools canceled before the first snowflake hits the ground uh, down there. That's just the way it is. But we also last month had a tornado, and I'm sure you heard about that on the news. It caused a lot of damage. It destroyed four towns. Destroyed. Mayfield, Kentucky. Princeton, Kentucky. Dawson Springs, Kentucky, which interestingly, Dawson Springs is a major hub for the Ku Klux Klan. I reject that wholeheartedly. I made a big statement in our church the other day. There's no place in our church for cluckers. Uh, How can you love your neighbors yourself and be a part of an organization like that? That just doesn't uh, reconcile itself to the word of God. But there's a camp there. The former Grand Dragon was from uh, um, Dawson Springs and that city was destroyed. And then there was another one, uh, Bremerton, Ske- Bremen, Bremen, Kentucky. Uh, it's a burg uh, right down the road from uh, our house. And uh, uh, just south of us, just a couple miles south of us, it's just utter devastation. We found debris. They had a, a, a debris cloud, 30,000 feet in the air, just caught up from all the debris from people's places. We had a man in our church, got a picture land in his yard came from 115 miles away, landed in his yard. We had uh, somebody's hospital bill that came from uh, about 70 miles, 85 miles away, actually. We found pieces of Bibles in our yard. Came from such a distance. It was just, just devastation, just destruction. However, I would tell you tonight that we face a serious storm in our churches right now. In this passage, which is a psalm of lament, David is praying to God, and in his prayer, he's crying out to God that the Lord would give him a united heart, singleness of mind. And the world that we're living in doesn't help. Our public school systems don't help with that. I just read a story about a a young child that was going to a school out west and without talking to mom or dad, The the teachers, two teachers of that child convinced that child that the sex they were born with was not their true sex and that they needed to start identifying as the opposite sex and dressing as the opposite sex. And they went so far without consulting mom and dad to change the name of that child in school. And they presented it as a an accomplished feat after the fact uh, to mom and dad. And that's our society. And we cannot expect our society, we cannot expect our community to help us love the Lord more. The world is not going to help you love God more. So the question I want to try to answer tonight is this. The challenge I want to give us is this challenge. What are the marks of a divided heart? What are the marks of a divided heart? Go with me first of all to First Chronicles chapter number 12. First and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles chapter number 12. I would tell you one of the identifying, identifiable characteristics of a, a divided heart is a heart that's plagued with constant indecision. A heart that's plagued, plagued with constant indecision. Look at chapter 12, look at verse number 32. 1 Chronicles 12, 32, one of the children of Issachar which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. Of Zebulun, such as went forth the battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000. Watch this now, which could keep rank. Here we go. They were not of a double heart. You know, you know the way that's written, and I, I, I told you I didn't go to, um, uh, uh, I didn't go into the ministry till I was 41 years old. hadn't been to Bible college, and and I, I was able to get my bachelor's degree through a, an historically black Baptist college uh, in Hopkinsville, where I was, and so I wasn't able to take biblical language languages, but I looked this up, and the way this is described is heart, and heart. So these men were not heart and heart. In other words, they didn't have a heart for Saul and a heart for David. They were all in. They followed David. They made their choice. One heart all the time. Nothing held back. Where you lead us, we will follow we will follow you into battle. As a former military man, I appreciate people who are willing to follow leadership. People with a divided heart are in and out at the same time. Our college students have just come back from going home. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a challenge. We are faced with a lot of temptations back home we may may not be faced with while we're at Bible college. We're faced with a lot of challenges when we leave this place. That's one reason why I love church so much. Church is such a haven. It's such a place of protection. It's such an area of encouragement. It's a source of strength. The the Holy Spirit works in my heart when I'm at church and when I'm around God's people. When that's not the case, maybe we go back home and we see some of our old friends, the friends where when we weren't really living for the Lord, those were the people that we hung around with. And we find ourselves now being heart and heart. We had, um, I was the International Air Traffic Training Manager for the FAA in my last few years with the FAA. It was a very exciting job. I traveled all over the world. I helped foreign countries establish aviation programs. I, I spent four months in Morocco pre-9-11 and they treated me very, very well. And um, I would go over there. I would bring them over here and it was very interesting. I may have told you this, but it just bears repeating that one of the things I would do when the Moroccans came to Oklahoma, I was in Oklahoma City, which is the home of the FAA. Uh, One of the things we would do is I would try to introduce them to cultural things in the community. And one of the cultural things in the community I made sure I introduced them to was my church. And so we had an appointment on Sunday night at six o'clock where we would meet at this one place, my church, and uh, we would have a meeting there and they would sit and be introduced to our culture. And so I, I led the singing at this church. So I, I'm up on the platform and, and they're sitting back there. And one of the dear men is back there, loves the Lord. And he's back there and, and um, I'm talking to uh, uh, the, the pastor. And then uh, we're having the service. The invitation starts. And I see these young men take 32 Moroccans and head back to the back. And I'm thinking... I'm pretty slow on the uptake here. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And my pastor said, Brother Shaver, you better get back there before something happens. So I go back there, and just as I come in the room and open the door, that dear young man says, Brother Shaver, all 32 of these men just trusted Christ as their Savior. And I appreciate what he was trying to do, and I hope I don't sound anti-evangelistic, and I hope I don't sound negative here. But I said, fellas, now in the Moroccan culture, in a lot of Muslim cultures, they want you to be happy. And they are willing to lie for you to be happy. And so I said, fellas, how many of you said yes to Jesus And they all raised their hand and they started chanting, yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus. And I said, okay, fellas, you are saying yes to Jesus and no to Allah. And that's what they did. Oh. And one of them said, yes to Jesus, yes to Allah, yes to Jesus, yes to Allah. They did not understand. They just didn't understand. But the problem is this in our Bible believing, independent Baptist churches, we've got people who are saying yes to Jesus and yes to the world, yes to Jesus and yes to the flesh, yes to Jesus. And yes, to our earthly desires and our earthly goals. We are heart and heart. And we're not a united heart. We are a divided heart. And that presents a real problem. James 1 talks about that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And then he says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. No double-mindedness. Now, I, I, I have to confess that early on, I used to think that that meant, you know, I just had a real hard time making a decision. But then the more I study the passage, for me, the understanding is, I, I, I'm not all in on the things of God. I'm not sold out to the Lord in what I'm doing. I'm wavering. The world is tempting me a little bit too much. I had a young man in Oklahoma uh, when I was still uh, 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 not in the ministry, and he'd run away from home. He was in our youth group, I think a junior, maybe a senior in high school, and he'd run away from home. And I heard he went to work at a taco store. So I went to the taco store. And I went in there, and I won't be betraying anything by telling you his name. I went in there, and there was Russell in there cleaning tables in a taco store. I said, Russell. He said, Brother Shaver. I said, Russell, it's so good to see you. He said, I'm so glad you're here. And then I asked him this question. I said, Russell, how's the world treating you? And he said, oh, it's... And then he realized what I asked. And he said, not good at all. And you know, isn't that the way it is? The world never treats us good. Maybe for a season. But eventually the world will chew us up and spit us out and leave us for dead. And the problem is, the concern is, too many of God's people are casting an eye toward the things of the world. We have a divided heart. But I would tell you, if there is constant indecision, that presents a problem. Number two. What are the marks of a divided heart? I said, number one, constant indecision. But number two, confused preeminence. Confused preeminence. Colossians 1.18, and you know this says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And there's confused preeminence for the man who has, a, and the woman who has a divided heart. This says he is the first of the first. He is over and above. It's interesting, uh, in one of John's uh, uh, letters, he says that it was Diotrephes who loved having the preeminence. But the the Lord Jesus is the only one worthy of the preeminence. Go to Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. You know this chapter, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. Look at verse number seven. Matthew chapter 13, verse number seven. The word of God says, and some Fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Can I tell you, no matter how good the soil may appear from above, the weeds lurk just below the surface. I I like gardening. Uh, I've lived some places that had some really rich soil. I like doing organic gardening. I like doing raised beds. I like doing vertical uh, growing. Uh, I like growing strawberries. And when I was an air traffic controller in Ohio, I had raised beds with really, really rich soil. And the strawberries just exploded. They were monsters. And I go out one day and I'm checking the strawberries and I use a lot of mulch and a lot of compost and I'm checking those strawberries and adding some mulch and I'm adding some compost. My next door neighbor is getting his basement waterproofed and the guys are out there working and one of them standing out back and he's watching me and I had some monstrous strawberries on those plants. And he stops and he looks at me and he said, those big, 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 big strawberries you have there? I said, he goes, those are really sweet. He'd been eating my strawberries. (laughs) But you can put compost down. And you can put mulch down. But the weeds are still there. And no matter how hard you try, the weeds, if you're not careful, will lurk just below the surface. Skip down to verse number 22. He also that received seed among the thorns. Watch this now is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Christ said, there are people like those weeds. Things look good on the surface, but there's problems brewing underneath. And we've got challenges. Listen to me. I, I read this a long time ago uh, when I was a new pastor. I was going to say a young pastor, but I was never a young pastor. But when I was a new pastor, problems never go away on their own. A pastor solves problems. Because those problems never go away. But can I say for the child of God the same thing's also true? There's something you're dealing with in your life, maybe even tonight. And I don't know what that thing is, but whatever that thing is, it's not going to go away on its own. If you don't deal with that, there will come a day. It may not be today. It may, if you're a college student, it may not be while you're at Bible college. It may not be in the first few years of your ministry, but those weeds are there. And if you and I are not dealing with those problems in our life, there will come a day when it will rear its ugly head. We've got to deal with those problems and the Lord Jesus knew that. It's interesting the two phrases that he used. He talks about the care of this world, the care of this world. You know, we have different concerns that catch our attention. I've talked about uh, this is going to be grandchild number 21 for us. Isn't that exciting? I I tell people, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children. (laughs) My children and I uh, and my wife, we're very close. And they find the humor in that statement, too, because now they're a parent. They understand a little bit more. So... um, But we love spending time with our children, and sometimes, you know, there's concerns. My daughter uh, Kendra had COVID in October of of 20. October of 20, she had COVID. She still doesn't have her sense of taste and sense of smell back. A year and a half later, matter of fact, there's a there's an affliction that she has been touched with. And it's a very uncommon affliction and it's directly associated with COVID. And even though you have no sense of taste and no sense of smell, it makes things taste and smell like death. Isn't that weird? She's expecting that. And so now here she is, this young lady who for the most part can't smell or taste anything and some things when she does it smells like death or it tastes like death, and she's expecting and anything just sends her over the edge and so for a dad that's a great burden for me now that's not a bad thing for me to be burdened for my child you know I've got uh, uh, our closest children when I was in Hopkins with the other church all our kids were there but now we've moved an hour and a half north. I've got a son who's headed to Iceland. You know, I'm trying to convince him he and his wife going to Iceland's okay, just leave the grandchildren here. You know, and I've got a, a daughter and son in law in Michigan. I've got a son and daughter in law in uh, Baton Rouge. And then I've got a, a son and, and uh, son in law and daughter who were an hour and a half south of us, and they're the closest ones to us now. And so we are burdened for our children. Sometimes the burden is for your job. You know, we, we are, are uh, living in messed up times. Good companies paying good wage. I've got a, a man in my church who's the vice president of, of human relations for, or human resources for um, Century Aluminum. One of the largest aluminum countries in the, companies in the world. And he's the VP for human resources. And he and I had lunch on Friday and he was telling me he can't hire new people. He's starting out at $26 an hour. And he can't find anybody who wants to show up to work. He said for every three people he hires, two of them quit within the first week. And it's a real problem. But some of us aren't there. We're on the other side of that spectrum. There are people who say, I'm willing to work. And I don't know what happened. Sometimes it's our health. Sometimes it's our finances. Sometimes it's relationships or It's family. And so when we talk about the cares of this world, we're not necessarily saying they are bad things. Same thing with the deceitfulness of riches. Money's not the problem. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money is addictive, though. The more you have, the more you want. I read a book I like to read. Um, I just uh, finished a book on James Garfield, which is a good book. Very good book. It's by Brother... Uh, we, we, we uh, share book lists and I'm reading a book, another book I'll, I'll tell you about later that I think you would appreciate. But um, uh, I read a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And one of the interesting things that I read that just made me laugh is they would bring in all of these millionaires. They had to pay them money to come in for the interview. It wasn't much like, you know, 20 bucks and lunch or something, but just there had to be something some type of transaction. And they gave them a questionnaire that they filled out, and they asked them questions. And one of the questions was, what's your favorite charity? And they said, overwhelmingly, the response was, I am my favorite charity. That's what they said. I, I, I made good money with the FAA. It was a long time ago. You know, I started out... Uh, I was civil service, and then they changed it from civil service to what they call pay bans, which was nice. It was like a 50% raise. And so, you know, I started out making 30 grand a year, and then within a year, 40 grand, and then within about six months, 50 grand, and then another six months I was making 70 grand, and then another year after that, I was making 85 grand, and then a couple years after that, I was making 125 grand a year. But you know, always. You're making 40 grand a year. You say, you know what? If I just made 50 grand a year, I'd be okay. And then once you're making 50 grand a year, you're thinking, you know what? If I could just get that next bump and get up to 70 grand a year, I'll I'll be okay. And then it's 70 is not enough. You you, want to see 80. And then you want to see that 125. And once once you're getting ready to knock on the door of 125 grand a year, you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to be okay now. But once the 125 grand hits, then you're thinking, you know what? I wonder what I. See how it is? It's never enough. We're never content, we're never satisfied. So he talks about the cares of this world which aren't necessarily bad in themselves. And then he talks about the riches, the deceitfulness of riches. We think that's what we need. And we find out riches aren't the issue. It's my spirit of discontent that's the issue. And it changes everything. It doesn't just happen to the rich man. It doesn't just happen to the millionaire next door. The issue is these temptations aren't unusual and they're not strange, but how easily these temptations cause us to have weeds and thorns grow up and cause us to have a divided heart. What are the marks of a divided heart? I think there's one more we could very easily identify I'm talking to some wonderful people tonight we've already talked about some things that in some cases have hit you right where you live but I think there's another one and that other one is not just a confused preeminence and not just constant indecision but a cloudy personality a cloudy personality look at Matthew 26 you'll understand this Matthew chapter 26 skip down to verse number 31 I I married a woman who's a better christian than I am I bet a bunch of you fellas could say that amen, amen. fellas I'm setting you up here okay I'm trying to do my part here. But my wife has helped me love the Lord more. And one of the ways that's happened, and, and I know there's, my wife's going to watch this eventually. Did I do good on the tie? I hope I picked the right tie. I am... Um, uh, I... I I didn't really start falling in love with God's Word until later. And I'm very grateful for that. And now I'm just grateful for God's Word how much it means to me. And and I want to love it more. I just love it so much. But just recently, just recently, I, I was reading this passage and something jumped out to me. Look at it with me. Look at verse number 31 of... Of uh, chapter 26 in Matthew. Then saith Jesus unto them. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again. I will go before you into Galilee. Let me, let me stop and ask you a question before we go further. How many of you love the Lord tonight? Raise your hand. You love the Lord. I believe that. You put your hand down. And I believe you're very sincere in that love. I believe that. Now watch this. Verse 32, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So here's my question. I asked you if you love the Lord. Sincere in that love. So can I ask you another question? Do you think Peter was sincere in that statement? That he made to the Lord Jesus. I think he was. I don't think I'm taking liberties with the word of God. By saying I believe. Peter believed. What he was saying. And yet. We know what happened. And some of us are sitting here tonight. In our sincerity. And we're saying. Oh I love the Lord. Have you ever noticed, it seems like it would be easier to die for the Lord than it would be to live for Him. Because tomorrow i got to get up. And I have to love the Lord in my heart. And I have to demonstrate on the outside what's going on on the inside. But there are challenges and there are struggles and there are burdens and there are conflicts. And all of a sudden this decision that I made for the Lord and this sincerity that I demonstrated just a few minutes ago now is as far away from me as the east is from the west. And that's where Peter was. And that's where some of us are. I think Peter struggled. He didn't understand who he was. Joseph. He knew who he was. Daniel. Daniel knew who he was. And that was the key to his greatness. And I say that knowing it comes from God. Did you know the name Daniel means God is my judge? Did you know that. Belteshazzar means something like bell protect my life. Go to Daniel chapter number one and this will be our last place we turn tonight. In Daniel chapter number one and in verse number eight we know this passage. And you know the question when we talk about when we talk about levels of sincerity, you know, I I can't judge, I can't judge. But it wouldn't surprise me if Peter's sincerity when he made that statement was on the same level as Daniel's sincerity in Daniel chapter one and verse number eight when he says, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You know, it's interesting. We don't read, we don't know what went on behind the scenes, but we don't read where Daniel fought his uh, deportation. We don't read where he fought his Babylonian training as we don't read where he fought his name change, but the Bible says in Daniel 1.8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat of the king's meat. You can only purpose in your heart if you have an undivided heart. I have a, a talked to Christians, people who say they love the Lord, who are unwilling to make a commitment. We're coming, you're coming into stewardship month here. And you're coming up to your stewardship banquet. But you and I both have run across people who are unwilling to make a commitment regarding the things of God. They'll make a commitment on a marriage license. They'll make a commitment on a car loan. They'll make a commitment on a house loan. But they will not make a commitment when it comes to the things of God. But Daniel, who was of an undivided heart, was able to purpose in his heart that he would not eat of the king's meat. I believe Daniel never forgot who he was or where he came from. Let me say, I don't believe you can corrupt a man from the outside. And I think Daniel... And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are testimony of that statement. They had nothing but bad influence going on around them, nothing but wickedness. I thank God for a godly mother. My mom's 85, she is the definition of meekness and grace. Don't ask me how. I've got four brothers. And we five boys, it's a miracle, my mom's alive. But she is the epitome of grace. But my mom's dad and my dad's dad, you know, they're, they're, they're all from West Virginia. My dad's dad was a moonshiner. Literally, he swam across the Ohio River to get away from the revenuers. That's why I don't do family genealogies. I don't wanna know. My mom's maiden name is Mason. And that's a very interesting thing because my grandfather had a market, Mason's Market. But the interesting thing was my grandfather made more money out of the mason jars out back of mason's market than he did in mason's market selling moonshine out of the back but my mom loves the Lord I have a brother who's in heaven Uh, you are probably aware of my nephew Michael who's a widower with five children His dad, Mike, so many good things in my life are because of my brother, Mike. He introduced me to my wife. He introduced me to the issue about uh, the infallibility of the Word of God and the Scriptures. He introduced me to the local church and the understanding of the principle behind that. He introduced me to the independent Baptist. I I say unashamedly, I I grew up G-A-R-B. And uh, I learned so much in that. But um, I am an independent Baptist by conviction today. And my brother Mike introduced me. And Mike died of a heart attack at 46 years old. Left behind four children. Michael was the oldest. And Michael never missed a beat. Michael graduated from Bible college. He had offers all over the country, but he wanted to come work with his uncle Kenny. So he came to Hopkinsville. He got married, fell in love, married a girl from Russia. She grew up in uh, uh, Rosemount, Minnesota. Nadia. They had five children when she was pregnant with her fifth, when she was expecting her fifth child. Uh, They found a lump and a year and some months later, she was in heaven. Five children, eight and under. But Michael has purposed in his heart that he was going to stay faithful to the things of God. My mom, you. I'm a playing offense kind of a guy. I played basketball in high school. I remember one game. I had, I had gone in and I had a good break to the lane and I came up and I had just slammed it home. And I was coming down and I got my foot caught in the net and I broke my ankle. No, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> I, I put up a layup and landed on a guy's foot and snapped my ankle. I like the first story better though, you know. <laughs> but I, I couldn't wait to get back into the game. I, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I remember what Brother Flanders said. I don't want to finish my life in a nursing home wearing a diaper and eating jello. I appreciate that. Those tornadoes came through. My wife and I spent the night in the bathroom. I, I'm from Oklahoma. I lived in Oklahoma for several years. Tornadoes were a sport out there. I mean, really, really. We would see tornadoes every year. We'd go to the Walmart parking lot and stand there, and I saw a double tornado. Two of them come out of the same uh, rotation. It was just amazing. That was one word for it. <laughs> but I was there when that, uh, the world's largest tornado came through. We lived in Mustang, Oklahoma. Isn't that a great name for a city in Oklahoma? I lived at 809 North Chisholm Way. We had a historical marker out in front of our house. The Chisholm Trail crossed here. You know, it was the cattle run from Texas up to Kansas City to the railroad yards. Our grass was really green there. But... Um, I'm not even going to look back because I'll probably never be invited here again after <laughs> we had a a tornado come through that was one mile at its base and 322 miles an hour. Biggest tornado in history. Gary England was the weatherman, and Gary England, every time a tornado would come through, it was amazing. He'd call it by street. If you're at Northwest 23rd and MacArthur, it's going to be there at 623. If you're at Northwest 29th and Rockwell, it's going to be here. So he'd call it out by street. It was amazing. And then he'd say, go into an interior closet, go into your bathroom, cover up with a mattress. If you have football helmets for the kids, put football helmets on. But on this one, he said, if you are inside, you will not survive. That's what he said. That was sobering. So last month, we had those tornadoes come through Kentucky. One of them came through Bremen, Kentucky. And it hit the house, a family in our church, his nephew, who was a judge, it hit their house. And he's only 33 years old, a judge at 33. And he's laying on top of his family, protecting his family, and the tornado sucked him off of his family, threw him 150 I want to say yards. It may be feet, but I think it was yards. And he died. But it also threw the rest of the family. But none of them died. 17-year-old boy was sucked out. Broke his ribs. Broke his back. Punctured his lung. Ended up in the front yard of the house. And he could hear his younger sister just screaming. And he said, God, I need a flashlight. I can't see. And right there was a flashlight. And so he got the flashlight. And this young man with a broken back, with broken ribs and a punctured lung, picked up his sister and carried her to the neighbor's house and banged on the door, trying to kick in the door until somebody would answer so he could get her help. That boy had singleness of mind. That boy understood his purpose That boy was not going to be swayed through adversity, through pain. He knew what he had to do and nothing was going to stop him. We're going to honor him at our church. If I had a football team, he'd be the first one that I'd draft. He probably only weighs 130 pounds but he has the heart of a lion. And there are people in this room. We love the Lord in our sincerity. We say we love the Lord. But we have allowed the weeds or even now we're allowing the weeds to come up. And, and, and they're, they're blocking our view. And we're losing our priorities are just going out of whack. what you need tonight is you need singleness of heart not heart and heart unite my heart to fear thy name may god help us tonight to have a heart that's united amen Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed.